We'll turn to God's word. Revelation chapter 16. Is anyone too warm? I'm too warm. Yes, I thought it was only me. Thank goodness. I thought I was taking the sweats there. And I am actually, but could, could, uh, could somebody just open a couple windows here and well, that the air well, should come down. I don't want anyone freezing there. So maybe, uh, Gordon, you could get just these ones here, Gordon, at the, at the front, please, and leave those ones there, if you don't mind. Thank you. <clears throat> Bless the Lord. Revelation chapter 16. And do keep your Bible open because there's going to be a lot of Scripture that we are going to be referring to. Revelation 16, beginning to read at verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Let's pray. Our eternal Father, we just thank you that we are found tonight in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we are covered in the blood. And we thank you, Lord, he died for us and paid our debt that we might be saved and forgiven of breaking your law and also of all the sin, the transgressions and iniquities that we have accumulated up over our life. Father, we thank you, Lord, that those of us who are in Christ and trusting him as our own Lord and personal Savior, that tonight we look to the heavens, we look up and we lift up our head, knowing that our redemption draweth nigh, that Jesus is coming for his blood-washed bride. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are in that number. And we thank you, Lord, that you are calling others still before the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this evening that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would take away our religious ideologies. And, oh, Holy Spirit, have your way in every heart in this place. Teach us and lead us and guide us, O Lord, and protect this assembly and the work which goes on here. And may the name of Jesus be glorified in all that is said this evening, and all that is prayed this evening, and all that it has been and will be sung this evening. If there's one here who has not yet come to saving faith in your precious Son, we ask you, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and let them see their need of a Savior, but let them see the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So glorify your Son and glorify yourself. In his name we ask it and for his glory. Amen. We've entitled this The Gathering of the Nations for Armageddon. The gathering of the nations 
for Armageddon. Let's look at our reading, Revelation 16 and verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Notice what's happening here. There are three spirits that are prevalent in the nation tonight. There are three spirits that are seen in Revelation chapter 16. The Lord Jesus gives them to John the Apostle in order that he would be able to tell us about them and that these three spirits could be identified because it's leading us up to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's leading us up right up to the very end times, as we call it, and to the last days. Gordon, that window will do just about there. Please, no more, and thank you. And this is leading us up right until the Lord Jesus breaks the clouds. And those who are saved will be gathered together as the bridal party of Christ in order to usher him to earth, that he will meet his bride in order that he will be married unto us. Now notice this. John says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth, notice, of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And people try and work out what is the dragon, what is the beast, and what is the false prophet. Now what I'm about to tell you, I firmly believe it. I'm a lover of Bible prophecy, a student of Bible prophecy, but I'm against a lot of people, what they say in their Bible prophecy. You might hear it for the first time. You might know it over and over again, but bear with me. The dragon spews out these frogs, the beast and the false prophet. The dragon, and we'll see it prevalent in this year, 2015, for the coming of Christ and we'll find a gathering around the world to gather the nations, causing world religious and economical leaders to come together in order to cause what people would term World War III. The dragon is Satan himself, but also here the dragon shows us that he is communist, communism, humanism, and socialism. And there's a lot of twisting and turning through that. There's a bigger a picture in that, and we hope to show you a little more. The mouth of the beast. The beast is the European Union. The beast is the papacy, uh, that the woman who rides the beast, the whore of Babylon. And also then we have the false prophet, is the false prophet Muhammad of Islam. And we'll see today, you turn on your, new, your news, and you read the papers, and you Search about and look for it, and this is what you'll find. You'll see nations that we'll mention tonight and more next week of these nations that are being manipulated by these spirits. Notice what it says in verse 14. For they are the spirits of devils. They are not the spirits. They are not the spirit of God. They are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth. Notice where it goes, under the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Why? To gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So here we have these three spirits working in the world. 
I noticed three spirits working in the world. Most Bible prophecy students will tell you that after Revelation 4, that's when the church disappears and a one-man future Antichrist comes and makes a pact with the Jews and breaks it after three years and Jesus comes, has come secretly and raptured his church. Brothers and sisters, it's nowhere in the Bible. Now, we're going to show you that also over the next week or two. I believe in the catching away of the saints, but I don't believe it's secret. I believe that Christ is coming again for his blood washed, but I do not believe he's coming a second time, then a third time. And I do believe that Christ is coming to rule and to reign on the earth. A literal Christ on a literal throne, ruling and reigning over the kingdoms of this world. Even in Elam circles, I have to say, it is varied among pastors. But this is what Principal George Jeffries believed, what I'm about to tell you tonight. This was his theology. And to me, he's an apostle. To me, he's a mighty man of God, anointed with the Spirit, among others. And so, why veer from what he taught and what he believed? Notice this. It says here there to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And then it's called Armageddon. Now, Armageddon, we have to ask a few questions tonight. And Armageddon, we must ask, first of all, where is it? Then what is it? Then when is it? And what does it mean? I believe the Battle of Armageddon started in 1914 the First World War. I believe that time of tribulation will increase until the Third World War, as we'll call it, until that battle of the great day of God Almighty. And God's blood-washed church have been in it the whole way through, and God's blood-washed people will be through it, and Christ will rescue us at some place and point in time, not rapture us up, to some heavenly realm for seven or maybe three and a half years. I want you to notice this. Revelation 16 and 16 says, and he gathered them together into a place. So it's a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So let's look at this. First of all, where is it? Armageddon takes the name uh, from the valley of Megiddo. And the valley of Megiddo was also a part of a wider valley and hill and mountain region called the Valley of Ezralon. The Valley of Ezralon. So first of all, where is it? It's where the Holy Land is today. But notice all the kingdoms of this world, all the nations will be gathered by these spirits to go against it and to surround around it. But notice this. In our reading, we can also see, first of all, that it's global. It starts there, but it becomes global. In other words, it's a world war. And then secondly, from our reading, it's spiritual. These spirits are doing this against God's spiritual bride. Notice this also, and his physical bride, I should say. Notice this also, it's physical because it's moving on the leaders of nations while the Holy Ghost is moving on his people. And fourthly, it is powerful. 
The reading we haven't taken yet goes from verse 17. And we'll look at it, God willing, next week. The seventh angel pours out a vial. And he pours out a vial into the air. Notice that. There are seven vials. We're on the sixth vial. We're going to show you. People say it's yet to happen. And this is when we're raptured and caught or wherever we're doing, we don't know. But here we see it's already happened. By the time I'm finished, you're going to see that this has already happened. The sixth vial has been poured out upon the earth. And you and I are living in it this very day. We're watching it and we're seeing it on our news bulletins and our news broadcasts on the television. I notice this in verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his vial in the air. This then speaks of an aerial warfare. So it's aerial. And also, when you let your eye run down, it says the verse 21, And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about a weight of a talent. In other words, here we have massive destruction from aerial warfare. Missile destruction, nuclear warfare, bombs being dropped, dropping like rain or hail upon men. And men blaspheme God because of the hail. In other words, the men and the women didn't get saved because of the judgment. You're saved before judgment. You're saved before Christ returns. Good to see you, Isaac, and your folks. You're very welcome. Come on ahead. Bless the Lord. Now, I want you to notice this. We'll look at that next week. And next week, we're going to show you Russia and Turkey and Iran. We're going to show you Tunisia and Libya. We're going to show you Great Britain more. We're going to show you United States coming. We're going to show you all of these things in the Lord's will next week. When this battle heats up and the sides take place, all come one against another into confederacies. I'm going to show you the, where the scriptures tell us of holes being burnt out of men's eyes and their skin falling off their faces because of nuclear blasts or maybe even a greater weapon by now. Because of it, the, the very heat of it, melting men as they stand upon their feet. Scriptures tell you about this. And we're going to look at that. This is where we are. But tonight, we are at the sixth file. We've been living through the sixth file. It's not in the future to come. And God willing, I'm going to be able to show you that. So, where is it? It's global, but it starts in the valley of Estralon. What is it? It's a battlefield. In fact, if you were to look through Scripture, and you're taking notes, take this down. There's been many decisive battles that are fought in Scripture in the Valley of Esdralon and Megiddo. Notice, if you were to go to Judges 5, just write it down. Deborah, who led Israel, fought against Sisera, and she defeated him in the Valley of Esdralon. Notice also Gideon, who fought against the Midianites. Gideon, in Judges chapter 7, defeated the Midianites in the valley of Esdralon. This was a battlefield. That's why it's chosen. This is where the sin. Look, see the great decisive battles here. It's going to start, but it's going to go worldwide. And then also, in 2 Kings 23 and 2 Chronicles chapter 35, Pharaoh came and he fought against Josiah. Josiah was the king of the southern house or kingdom of Judah. Judah remembers where we get the name Jew from. And he fought against the king of Judah because Josiah 
hearing that he was coming north, he took sides with Assyria. You're going to hear about them too. And Assyria and Josiah fought against Egypt, but Egypt won. And Josiah kicked his heels up, and Pharaoh came to the valley of Estralon, and he slew King Josiah. There was a great lamentation in the southern kingdom of Judah at that time. And you'll read about it in Zechariah 12. Listen to what it says in Zechariah 12 and verse 11. And this is pointing us to the end times. Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, is looking to what's coming ahead. Someone says to Allison the other day, we were visiting somewhere and they said, we have a couple of places left in our trip to Israel if you would like to go. And I would quite like to go and see around the things. But anyhow, when you read this, you might not want to go. Or you may want to go soon and get back as quick as you can. Notice this. Zechariah 12 says, In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadadrimon in the valley of Megiddon. Now take note of that. You know what this is speaking of? This is speaking of when they, in Judah who were left, they used to look backward to when Josiah, and he was a good king. He just made bad decisions. We all do. And Josiah, the king of Judah, made a bad decision. And he was slain in the valley of Esarlon. And the, and the nation of Judah, they would have wept and lamented every year to remember the wrong decision a good king made. So they said, this is a terrible thing that has happened in the land. And they wept over it. Now Zechariah takes it and he looks ahead through the spirit of prophecy. And as he looks ahead through the spirit of prophecy, he says these words. And that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadidramon in the valley of Megiddo. As Josiah died, there's going to be another great decisive war. AD 70, Titus, the Roman prince, came, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, and he took the stones, uh, the temple down stone by stone because as they burnt the temple, the Jewish temple, the gold ran down between the great stones, and they wanted to get the gold, so they were ordered, take that down stone by stone. I have something to tell you. I don't mean to offend you. Do you see when you see the, the Jews going, and they're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong, and they go and they, to the wailing wall, and they're praying and putting little prayer requests and notes into the wall. Listen, brothers and sisters, it's just a wall. That's all it is. In fact, it isn't even the true temple wall. It's a retaining wall that was built there later. But they go there and they worship there. Listen, if that is the wall, then Jesus got it wrong when Jesus says that not one stone would be left upon another. Now, do we believe Jesus or do we believe historians and a Jewish religion that says, this is the wall of Solomon's temple. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ. He never got it wrong. That is not the original temple wall. It's a retaining wall, which was built later on when it was extended out. So anyhow, let's go on from this. Notice this. We have to ask ourselves then, when will this great battle take place? As I said, the climax will come in the future in the future, and I believe in the near future, but no man can tell the day nor the hour. But we are already in the throes of it now. Megiddo, the valley of Megiddo and the valley of Esdralon is said to have had, listen, no fewer 
than 200 battles. I'm going to bring you right up to date now, so please try and mark this. It's had no fewer than 200 battles in it. That's why it's marked. That's why the Spirit of God gave it to John. He says, see that valley? This is an important place. This will hit home to people when they learn about this. And the valley of Esalon had 200 battles in it. The first recorded battle was in 1468 B.C. Now notice B.C. And that was Pharaoh Tuthmosis III came. And he fought there in a battle in the valley of Estralon. The last recorded battle, mark this down. If you're writing it down, mark the date because you're going to hear it here. You're going to see it. You're going to see slides. You're going to see fulfilled prophecy on it. The last date where there was mighty battle in the valley of Esdralon was in 1917 AD, just two years short of 100 years ago. 1917 AD. And the battle fought there was by General Edmund Allenby, who was making his way down to Jerusalem, and God was going to fulfill Bible prophecy. Notice this. When Allenby went down there, there was bloodshed all around Canaan land, all around the Holy Land. And he comes right down the Estralon Valley and he liberated Jerusalem from Turkish Ottoman power in 1917. This is a photograph of him entering the Jaffa Gate on the 9th of December of that year. That's General Allenby walking in because it was champions or conquerors who rode in and he didn't want to be seen like that. So he walked in, a British general, on his troops. Now, I notice this. Notice this, and stay with me. It's very important for you and I to understand this happening. Uh, a Jewish pharmacist called Kyle Wiseman and some others with uh, Lord Balfour of the British government, they sat down, and it was happening years before in the planning, but now it came to pass that they sat down and they constructed what was known and is known today as the Balfour Declaration for a Jewish homeland, but also, now listen, brothers and sisters, that the Arabs could live there alongside the Jews. That was the original plan for it. Okay, so that was known as the Balfour Declaration, and that was brought in, in 19, after 1917. The influx of Jewish immigrants from all over flooding the place came. And in 1936, there was an Arab revolt. And with the Arab revolt, there was bloodshed. And because of this, then, we have the problem that you have today in the Middle East or in the land of Israel. Okay, so it was in 1936, there was a campaign of guerrilla warfare from the Arab peoples there or the Palestinians as we would know them today. In 1948, Britain had the mandate. It was Britain and France. That's why you hear France getting interfer- interfering with Jordan. That's why Jordan and France are close, because it was Britain and France who had the mandate. Britain had the mandate, but France helped them divide up and make cities or make countries in the Middle East. Jordan was linked with France. And Britain had that mandate. Do you know what that mandate was, really, when you look at it? You go into biblical times, it was the promise of Abraham to Joseph. It was Joseph's mandate. And Britain was taking charge and bringing them in, and there was problem. And then the Jews started up a terrorist organization 
called the Ergen and the Stern Gangs. And then because they were fighting against the British soldiers then, they wanted them out of Palestine. The, the bombing of the, the King David Hotel, and many were killed, and there was bloodshed all over the place. And a weak and a weary, war-torn Britain had more or less had their fill and said, you know what? You can have it. Off they went, and they left it with them. Now, the Ergen and the Stern Gangs, here's something I don't know if you know or not. When the Second World War was on, and Britain was at its weakest point, they actually, now this is going to shock you, but you can look me up and you can check me on this. I, I, I want you to go and check me on it. I can't just remember the name of the actual guy who done the contact, but they went to the German. This is the Jewish Stern Gang and the Ergen Gang. They sent ambassadors over to Germany to talk to the Nazis in order to release the Jewish uh, people from the concentration camps and they said they'd kill British soldiers for them. Has anyone ever heard of that before? Please look me up and check me on it. That's the truth. And Britain was weak and weary and handed the mandate back again and gave it onto them. The Zionist Israeli state then flowered, and we know that it started. And that is whether people like the Zionist state or loathe it, whether they hate it, or adore it. Nevertheless, no matter what, Jesus said it would be there. And I'll tell you why. He said that the fig tree, which is the symbol of jury, J-E-W-R-Y, not a judge and jury, J-E-W-R-Y, he said that the fig tree would be back in Palestine or Canaan or Judea at his second coming. Jesus said it would be back at his second coming. Now, stay with me, please. Your attention's been tremendous. It has become very multifaceted, if I can use that word, in religious purposes and also in economical purposes. And it's throughout the banking industry. Now, when I say these things, I said this last week, please mark me right. This is not speaking about the average Jew walking around Jerusalem. I am speaking about those whom Jesus classed in Revelation chapter 2. If you want to turn, there's just a wee verse I want to show you. Revelation chapter 2, and let your eye run down to verse 9. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Jesus said that. I didn't say that. So what we have to do is get a fair balance of what's going on here tonight. This is not anti-Semitism because, by the way, anti-Semitism goes into the Arabs because they're Semitic too. Some of the Turks may even be Semitic. But this is not against the Jew who lives in Jerusalem or wherever this is not. Please mark me in that. The Lord Jesus said to the Sadducees and the scribes and the Pharisees, he said, you are a brood of vipers. You're a bunch of snakes, he said. He said when he stood in front of Herod, he wouldn't even speak to him because he cut the head of John the Baptist. And Herod was a Jew, but listen, he wasn't a true Jew. 
He was an Edomite convert. That's what Jesus is saying. There are those who are true bloodline Jews, and there are those who are nothing but Edomite converts who hate the gospel, who hate Christ, and will deny him at every turn. Jesus is saying, you're saying you're Jewish, but you're not true. He says, and I know you. Now, there are true Judaites, i.e. Jews. So please, let's not tar everyone with the same brush tonight, okay? Now, notice this. Notice this. The Lord told us something through Zechariah the prophet, okay? Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. The Lord says this, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about. When they shall be in the siege both against Judah and Jerusalem. The word trembling here for a cup of trembling is the word reeling. Reeling. Gives the idea of a man in a ship being tossed all over the place. Like this. Gives the idea of a man staying too long at the wine and getting drunk. He says, and I'm going to make Jerusalem like that. And this is the powder keg. This is the blue touch paper, if I can call it, to the battle of Armageddon. For everyone that comes and gets involved with it, they end up drunk with it. Ask the United States. Ask Great Britain. Ask France. Ask other countries of Europe. Everyone who tried to get involved with it and tried to sort it out, they find themselves exhausted. I think of Camp David whenever I was growing up as a wee boy and Jimmy Carter. I'm giving me age away now, but I was a wee boy. And Jimmy Carter, the President of the United States. And I think of Reagan and Bush. I don't think much of them, but I think of it. And them going to Camp David and trying to set up peace treaties and peace deals one after the other after the other, and things seem fine and it all just falls apart again. The only time there's going to be peace, not only in Jerusalem, but in all the earth, is when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. And he will rule the nations with a rod of iron for a thousand years, and then we will go into his eternal kingdom after the great white throne judgment of the unseen. Notice what the Lord says through Zechariah, in Zechariah 12 and verse 3 this time. And then that day will I make Jerusalem, notice, a burdensome stone for all people, all that burden themselves with it, that is with Jerusalem, shall be cut in pieces though all the people of the earth, notice, be gathered together against it. See the word here, burdensome stone. It gives the idea of someone carrying a heavy load and falling under the weight of it. Let me give you an example. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 1. Bel Baratheon, Nebo Stupeth. These are Babylonian gods, okay? And the Lord says, Bel Baratheon and Nebo Stupeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaden. They are a burden to the weary beast. 
Here the Lord uses the same word where he says, Jerusalem shall become as a burdensome stone. He says they were getting their carved idols, big stone idols, big wooden idols, big metal idols of gold, and they're putting them on carts. And the old beasts were really straining to pull them. And really, they had to carry their so-called gods. And if you read on into that, God says, but I, the Lord, will carry you. He says, Israel, I'll carry you. I'll carry my people, he says. You read that when you go home. So what he's saying is, here's your gods, and you set them on a cart, and this great heavy weight and load is upon it, and the beasts are bumping at the knees, and they're struggling to pull it. That's a burdensome stone to them. Gives the idea of you carrying a heavy stone and your arms give out after a while. It also gives the idea of a torture where a man is stretched hand and foot and laid prostrate along the ground on his back and a great stone is placed upon his stomach and sustains her until the weight compresses him and crushes him to death. And the Lord says, I will make Jerusalem as a burdensome stone to everyone who tries to get involved with it. It's the city of the great king. It's the city of the great king. So what is this? When is this battle? I say it's still to come. And we're gathering together tonight onto it. Fourthly, Armageddon, what does it mean? Armageddon is said to mean simply hill or mount of slaughter. This will be a time of trouble like the world has never, ever seen before. Never. It simply means hill or mount of slaughter. And with mankind's capabilities and his arsenal of weapons, one push of a button and all will be finished. Notice what Jesus says. Matthew 24 and verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should be, notice, no flesh saved, but for the elect's sake. Pause there, Christian. There shall be no flesh saved, but for the elect's sake. You know what this tells me? then the elect are there for him to save them out of it. Think about it. They have to be there for him to protect them in it and save them from it. But for the elect's sake, should those days be shortened. Revelation 16 again. Let's read our, our, our opening scriptures. By the way, this is only the introduction. Do you know that? We're going to get into it in a moment. Revelation 16, verse 12 says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the waters thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Notice, the great river Euphrates must be dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now notice the order. The river Euphrates dries up, then the kings of the east are prepared. What does this mean? You're going to be told by most people that the river itself will literally dry up. River Euphrates has nearly done that a few times. But this is not speaking about the literal river. Let me ask you a sensible question, because we're sensible people, aren't you? Thinking people. 
In a day of aircraft, aerial warfare, of missiles and rockets, and even tanks that can swim and go over bridges that are made in the matter of ours, why, oh why, would they have to wait for the great river to dry up to cross it? Let me explain this to you. I trust, look, I, this is what I believe with all my heart. I, I love this stuff and I study it all the time. I live on it. So let me explain it to you. The kings of the east, first of all, the word east is the word Anatole. Anatole, and it means simply the rising of the sun or the rising of the sun and the stars. In other words, where does the sun rise in the east? Simple as that. So it's the kings from where the sun rises in the morning and where the stars come up in the evening as we have it. He says, and the kings that are over that side of the world, if you want, he says, the river Euphrates must be dried up until they start to be prepared and come. Now, this is when we really get into the nitty gritty. This is when I want you to try and, I know it's warm and I know it's easy to fall asleep. I try and, I'm loud and it's hard. I don't know how people sleep whenever I'm speaking anyhow because I'm loud as it is. We're going to show you some slides in a minute and I'm going to preach through it and Gary's going to do the slides in order that you'll be able to see a visual yourself and work this out for yourself. Remember I told you about the battles in the Valley of Estralon? Do you remember that? Remember I told you that the last battle was with General Edmund Allenby in 1917 and he liberated Jerusalem? Well, we're going to look at that right now and you're going to see just under 100 years ago the great river Euphrates dried up. Stay with me. The head of the source of the Euphrates is found in the Taurus Mountains in eastern Turkey. And Taurus was known as the god of the storms. So when the storms come over, it looked like black clouds in the mountain. It dropped a lot of rain. And the river Euphrates were to swell up. Then the god was bountifully blessing. Because people encamped around that great river Euphrates and they, they irrigated the land, and so they started to have civilization living around the river Euphrates. That's when you look on your wee Bible maps, and you'll see a crescent comes around, and it's green, but it's all desert around it because of the river Euphrates. Okay, so the river Euphrates was in plentiful. God was happy. Their God was happy. And whenever it diminished, their God wasn't happy. So does that mean that you and I, knowing the living God, are going to believe that our God is happy or unhappy if the river is swollen or drying up? Surely our God is greater than that. And we have a living Savior not needing to look at these things. Now notice this. The sixth angel pours out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water dries up. As I said, this has already happened. How did it happen? Well, we have to go back into the Old Testament, okay? We have to go back into the Old Testament again to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, please. Chapter 26. And now we're not going to read it all, but we're just going to read a little verse out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 18 says, And if ye will not hearken Unto me. This is Jehovah says this to Israel. 
Yahweh says it. And if you will not hearken unto me, then will I punish you seven times more for your sins. Notice, seven times more for your sins. In the next verse, in verse 21, you could read the chapter when you go home. And if you walk contrary unto me, and will hearken unto me, I will bring seven, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues according to your sins. Now the Lord said that to Israel. Away in the book of Leviticus are through Moses. So the Lord has set this in place. So the seven times punishment happened on Israel. What happened? In 1 Kings chapter 11, and verse, well, we'll do verse 31 in a minute. 1 Kings chapter, let me tell you what happened. Israel are now in the promised land. The 12 tribes are there. And there's a revolt. Jeroboam is Solomon's son. And he is in Jerusalem ruling. And there's a revolt with uh, Rehoboam and Solomon's son. They're in Jerusalem ruling. And Jeroboam, he was, uh, he was an aide of Solomon's. And he, f- he went into flight for a while. Then he came back when Solomon died. And when Solomon had died, he thought things are great. But the people didn't want to be ruled by Rehoboam anymore. Rehoboam was giving them heavy taxes and hard labor. And so what happened was... There was a revolt with people coming to Jeroboam. He didn't know what to do. And a prophet in 1 Kings 11 and verse 31 called Ahijah comes to him. And you imagine walking out with your new coat. So was uh, Jeroboam. He has new coat or his new garment on. And Ahijah grabs it and he tears it from him. And he takes the, the garment and he rents it and rips it up into 12 pieces. And he takes 10 of the pieces and he gives them to Ahijah gives them to uh, Jeroboam. And there's two pieces over. Verse 31, 1 Kings 11, verse 31. Listen to this. Ahijah says to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of thine hand, the hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to thee. Jeroboam is given ten tribes. It happens. The split comes. And they stop uh, going down to Jerusalem. And Jeroboam has Samaria as their capital city in the north. You can't really see the, 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 the little map too well. But up in the north, there's a capital city. And that becomes known as the House of Israel. It also becomes known as Samaria after the name of the capital city. It becomes known as the House of Joseph. It becomes known as Ephraim after one of the tribes, the sons of Joseph. And so because of this, they become a separate nation with a separate identity and a different destiny than the lower kingdom in the house of Judah. And it continues to be reigned, continue to be reigned by Jeroboam. Now notice this. They fell into sin in the northern kingdom and they put bull calves in Dan and one in Bethel And Jeroboam says, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Don't go to Jerusalem to worship anymore. Come up here. They became known as Israel. Judah became known as the Jews. The house of Judah. Then the Lord says, The seven times punishment would start, notice, on the house, the northern kingdom of Israel. Now notice this. The seven times punishment started 
And Assyria, the, the Assyrian king came and he took three tribes. You can't really see it there from the east of the river. Three tribes from the east of the river. Manasseh, Reuben, and God in 745 BC. Okay? So he took them away in 745 BC. Seven times punishment came upon them on that date, on the northern house. So how do we work out when that finishes? You ready now? Stay with me. Here's your Mars test. 745 BC, take away 2,520. You go right down to the year zero. You add one because there's no year zero. You go from minus one to one, so you add one. And then you take the rest off. The 2,520 years, and it brings us to the year 1776 AD. The, the house of Israel were taken captive and they were scattered. They were in Assyria. They ended up going to Greece. They went through to Italy. They went into Europe, some into Spain, up through into uh, Germany, to Saxony, right across and up into Denmark right through and into Great Britain. Then, of course, we populated the United States with other countries. I notice this. 1776 marks an epoch of time in the history of the world. What happened? A great nation was formed called the United States of America. The 13 eastern seaboard colonies was risen up as a Christian nation in the United States. In 1776, the American Independence Declaration, rather, of independence was signed. Notice that in 1776. And that's the seven times punishment of the house of Israel finished. The fall of Samaria, that is their capital city. Now note this. The fall of Samaria, their capital city. Okay? Remember that on the three tribes that were to the east of the River Jordan. Now the incursion comes right in, and they come right into the capital city. It was a battle that went on and a taking away, carrying away from 721 to 720 B.C. 2,520 years later, plus one for the crossing over, brings us to the year 1800 to 1801 A.D. What happened in that year? It was when your Union Jack was formed. It's the year when Ireland and St. Patrick's Cross was added to the flag of the Psalter of Scotland and George's Cross, and the full Union, of Jack, Union Jack was formed, and the Union of Great Britain and Ireland came to pass. Now, stay with me, because this is important. This is important. It's from this time on, it's from this time on that God started to raise up this nation, and the Industrial Revolution came, and the Industrial Revolution caused us to look for other places to live. They went to Australia and South Africa, and you know, we know where they to New Zealand, and of course, we've already said over to the United States. Notice this Isaiah 41. You tell me if this speaks of us, if this points to a prophetic utterance that is marvelous for our own country, our own people, and our own nation from where we are. Isaiah 49, please. Isaiah 49. 
And notice this little verse. Time's flying. Would you believe it? And I'm a lot to do yet. Notice this. Isaiah 49 and verse 1. Listen, O eyes, unto me. And hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb and from the barrels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. Now let your eye run right down to verse 20. The children which thou shalt have after thou hast lost the other shall say again in thine ears, the place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. When Britain lost the 13 seaboard colonies, the children which they lost, and American independence was formed, the Industrial Revolution came, and things became too tight in Britain, and they said, let us go further out. And what happened? This was the vehicle to take the word of God to the nations around about the globe. God used this for his glory. And God used this to fulfill his own word. Notice this. The Lord Jesus says in Luke 21, verse 24, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What is the times of the Gentiles? I'm only after telling you. The seven times punishment of Israel. Jerusalem, he says, will be under the rulership of Gentile powers until the seven times punishment is fulfilled. The house of Judah, the southern kingdom, remember, in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that's when you read of them carrying them away, the Jews away. You read of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. You read of Daniel in the lion's den. You read of Ezekiel at the river Chebar. That's all them carried away into the east, into Babylon. And Israel's gone. This is the Jews. This is Judah now. And they're all carried away into the east. And you'll read about that right through uh, uh, many of the prophetic scriptures there, especially the book of Daniel. But when Nebuchadnezzar was crowned, now note this. This is very important. When Nebuchadnezzar was crowned in Babylon, it was the year 607 BC. 607 doing the seven times punishment, 2,520, one for the carrying over, brings us to the year, you ready? 1914 AD. What happened in 1914 AD? God took peace from off the earth and the First World War came. Now what you're about to hear from here on in you're going to find that this year, 1917, when this punishment was over, these three unclean spirits like frogs got bigger and extended. Right from this year. I've said all that to say what we're going to say, by the way. Is everybody with me still? Is all getting it okay? So 1914 was the First World War. Nebuchadnezzar carried away Judah and Babylon, or Judah and Jerusalem, into Babylon in the year 604 BC. 604 BC, one for crossing over to AD, 2,520 years. 
And you take that's the seven times punishment, brings us to the year 1917. Now, 1917 is also marked in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 12. How is that? Notice this. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. Mark that in your Bible. It's very important. What is a thousand three hundred five and thirty days? It's one three three five. Thirteen hundred and thirty-five days. Do you know when General Allenby went in in 1917? You know what happened? I'll do this from memory. General Belvoir was a Christian general, and he read the book Light for the Last Days, and the book Approaching the End of the Age by Henry Grattan Guinness, who was a Dublin evangelist. He was off the Guinness family who made the Guinness. But half the family were Christian. And he went out and he had a great evangelist ministry and he wrote these books according to what you're hearing tonight. And, he, and when he wrote them, he wrote them in 1880s. 1888 was the light for the last days. And, and General Belvoir read the book and seen that God was going to do something in Jerusalem in this year, 1917. There was bloodshed all over Palestine, all over the world with the Second World War and various generals had failed to liberate Jerusalem. You couldn't remove the Turkish Ottoman Empire. They were so ingrained in it, you couldn't get them out of it. And so what happened was he came and he sat down with this Christian uh, general, Allenby, and he says, look, if you take this on, the Lord says, and Allenby was a Christian, he says, if you take it on, the Lord's word says, he's going to do something great in Jerusalem. Look at this Bible prophecy that Henry Grattan Guinness has seen. Allenby takes up the mantle, fights down the Esteron Valley, right through Megiddo, and he comes to Jerusalem and he stops his troops. And he sends up number 14 bomber squadron of the Air Flying Corps, the little two-wing planes. And he sends them up and they fly over Jerusalem and they start dropping leaflets and not bombs. And as they're dropping leaflets and bombs, the Turks see them and see great birds flying in the sky. And they drop their weapons and they run out and they surrender to a little private from the British army who was walking up the road. Not a shot was fired. Not a bomb was dropped. And God liberated Jerusalem. If you tell me that that is not important, herein is a scripture that fulfills it from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 35 and 5. As birds flying so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also he will deliver it, and passing over he will preserve it. As birds flying, he sent the little bi-wing planes. They had a, a metal, a little metal uh, medallion struck up. This is Allenby's coin. See this coin here? I'm going to go back to 1335 here. See this coin? This was struck up to commemorate the liberation of Jerusalem. I've got a copy of this. See the 1917, and there's Arabic writing. Do you know what the Arabic writing is on the other side of it? It's the numbers 1335. Do you know why it's 1335? Because in 622 AD, Muhammad ran from Mecca to Medina. And what was known as the Hegira calendar started 
and the Hagira calendar year one was in 622 AD, what was the Muslim or the Arabic calendar date when Allenby came in and liberated Jerusalem? The year 1917. The year 1917. So, the seven times punishment was over. God was raising up Israel in the West and showing also his glory over Jerusalem in the East. Do you not know that our God is the God of the heaven and all the earth? He's the God of eternity and time. We'll give me another five or ten minutes. Bill, give me a, raise your hand let me see. I don't want to preach and shout at me when I go home. All right. I didn't expect it to be so long. I've got carried away as usual. The Euphrates River was actually dried up from this date and completely dried within years, a few years. The Turkish Ottoman Empire, which ran right around from Turkey, the Fertile Crescent, right down by that river Euphrates, the Turkish Ottoman Empire, which ruled in Jerusalem, the Turkish Ottoman Empire, which went into where Iraq is today and into Iran, they started to recede in strength and power right up round where they had conquered the river Euphrates and all the peoples round about. And this was the year that started them in recession. The Euphrates was drying up. But now what happens? The ways of the kings of the rising of the sun may be prepared. Here's a strange thing for you. And I look at these three frogs. I haven't got into my scripture yet. What about that? These three frogs, spirits like frogs, spirits of devils. First of all, communism. We hear of names like Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin, Leon Trotsky. I want, you to, I want to say this again, folks. I need you to hear me. There's names I'm going to mention here. I might start you, I might not even know them, but when I mention them, you're going to say, I've heard that before. I recognize those names. Like Rothschilds, Bilderbergers, Goldman Sachs, among others. They are all Jewish elite bankers who are ruling this world. But listen, they are not true Jews. In other words, they're Esau Edomites. They are the synagogue of Satan. I'm not talking about the average Jew in the street now. This is not to go and say against them. I noticed this. In 1917, when the river Euphrates dried up, the Turkish Ottoman Empire, that is, receded. The exact same year, the Bolshevik Revolution. You go and do your study on it and tell me who started it. You tell me their background. The removal of the Tsarists, the royal family there, from 1917 started the Bolshevik Revolution and communism started to grow. The Red Army was formed 
And the Soviet power had spread. And I noticed, and listen to the words, because you're going to hear it on your news. You've heard it on your news. And the 24th of December, or by the 24th of December, 1917, the Red Army had established their forces in Krakow. They had established their forces in the Ukraine. And by the 29th of December, 1917, they had taken over Sevastopol in the Crimea because it was a very, very prosperous naval base for them. That's why when you hear about the Ukraine, the first place the Russians went was into the Crimea because that's where their naval port was. That's where they can come right into the Mediterranean. That's where the gas and the oil pipelines come. Why do you think the West want it? The West are no better. They're even probably worse. And it's all to do with money and power and bankers. And what happens is they start a war and these banker families, they fund one side of it and they fund the other side of it and they sit back and watch everybody fight and they say, we're quids in at the end of it. Because we end up having to pay for it. That's why your taxes, that's when you go to your petrol pump, it goes through the roof. You're a slave. I'm a slave to those in power. This communist force gathered together and took over Sevastopol and right into Kiev by the 8th of February, 1918. So from 1917, here's another one quickly. In 1917, there was a young Chinese student and he was called Mao Zedong. Does anybody know the name? And Mao Zedong, this young Chinese student, took on the teaching of Karl Marx. And through the Russian Revolution, he left and he went back to China and he started the Chinese People's Communist Party. When he started it, it grew in strength. And as it grew in strength, they were atheistic. They were slaying of anyone who was Christian. They were pushing people out who were of any religion. And what happened was they gathered together in such force and strength that the then Chinese nationalists had to retreat and go to Taiwan. Do you ever wonder now, when you hear in the news, China won Taiwan back? Do you ever wonder why the United States is backing Taiwan? It's because of this history. And the, and the Chinese communism is claiming it back again. And now the Americans have put, if my memory serves me right, their sixth fleet. And they're building one of the biggest uh, naval seaports on the north coast of Australia in case that nation of Australia is attacked by China. The rising of the kings of the east. We think of Pearl Harbor. We think of the Second World War. And the rising of Japan. We think of North Korea. The rising of the kings of the east. And when did it start? 1917. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I think that this is just make-believe, is it? Do you know what this tells me? That every scripture tells me that Christ is returning, I believe. Last one. In 1917, three little shepherd children in Portugal, strangely enough, in a place called Fatima, named after uh, Muhammad's wife, I'll talk about that sometime. His wee wife was about nine years old. Three shepherd children say they see a vision of the Virgin Mary. And lion visions come to them. Listen to what one of them said. Mary allegedly said to them. Now listen. You have seen hell. 
where the souls of poor sinners go to save them. God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my immaculate heart. Consecrate Russia to my immaculate heart. Now listen, brothers and sisters. Mary allegedly says to consecrate Russia or whoever to her immaculate heart. And Jesus says there's only one person to be consecrated to. Jesus says there's only one way to the Father. Jesus says there's only one mediator between God and man. Jesus tells us, the word of God says, there's one and he's Christ himself. And not Mary. A lion spirit. Thousands came to Fatima. And they seen the sun, they said, dancing in the sky. And going up and down between heaven and earth. And Mary shining in her glory. And it's a lion spirit from the devil. And you think that's bad, Rome would throw it out. You listen to this. In the 7th July 1952, Pope Pius XII, in his apostolic letter, Sacro Vergante, listen to what he says. Just a few years ago, we consecrated, notice, we consecrated the entire human race to the immaculate heart of Mary. So you are consecrated to Mary whether you want to be or not. As far as they're concerned, you belong to Mary's heart, not Christ. Now he said this, not me. Consecrated the entire human race to the immaculate heart of the Virgin Mary, mother of God. I didn't know God had a mother. We entrust all peoples of Russia to this immaculate heart. He also said to the people of Russia that the gates of hell will never prevail where she offers protection. Do you know what Jesus says? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ said that. There was a man called Paul Henry Spack. Belgium, from Belgium. Jean Monnet and Conrad Ardenur from Germany. Speck was a communist, socialist, and he championed the cause of imprisoned communists. Monet and Ardenur, Germany, were staunch Roman Catholics, practicing Roman Catholics. They met up with a man called Robert Rothschild of the Rothschild Jewish, German Jewish Banking Consortium. And he funded something that you and I are living in tonight the European Union. That is the beast and the whore that rides it. And do you see every apostate? so-called Protestant that gets on the back of the beast to join that woman, you will burn in hell with it. Notice this. In 1952, the European steel, coal, and iron industry came into full force. That is in 24th of July, 
1952. That is after the Pope consecrated it to Mary's Immaculate Heart. Now stay with me. In 1957, Paul Henry Spack, this is what he said, I think that we have reestablished the Roman Empire without a single shot being fired. That's what he said. There was a consortium got together of high-ranking and also, how would I call them? They call them faithful Catholics. And they started what was known as the Blue Army. Has anybody ever heard of the Blue Army? They started the Blue Army. And it was all to do with Mary's lying, the lying visions of Mary and Fatima for these children. And it grew so quickly among Europe and among the people of the Church of Rome. They changed the name of it to the Word Apostolic Apostolate, sorry, the Word Apostolate of Fatima. This is what they declare it's for the promotion of authentic teaching of the Roman Catholic Church and the sanctification of adherence through faithful adherence to the message of Fatima. They decided they needed a banner. Do you want to see their banner? Where's their banner? The stars were put on a little later. There's their banner. Here is the beast, the dragon of communism, and the false prophet of Islam. Now, do you want to come next week? You see, you're too long. Well, you need to get out to see the nations. Jesus is coming. This is what he says. Matthew 24 and 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. We are living in a day when people are afraid and worried. This Bible says, God says, look at all the figures. Put them all together. Now you tell me, children, am I not in control? Am I not in control? Jesus is coming in clouds of glory. He's going to come and we'll be caught up and changed, not caught up in a moment, changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And we will return and he will set up his kingdom and we will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years upon this earth. Satan will be released again to deceive the masses. And after that, Christ will throw him and the false prophet and the beast into the fiery furnace. And all those who know not Christ And are you saved? Are you ready? If that doesn't show you that that book is true, if that doesn't tell you next time you put on your TV set and look at the news and you read of these, where do you see the nations next week? Where do you see what it says about them next week? If that doesn't make you realize that you need to get right with God and that Christ died for our sins and it's only trusting in his precious shed blood, listen, no matter who you are, that only in the blood of Jesus will God recognize for your salvation. God bless us. I don't know about you. You're tired of listening. Well, I'm tired of speaking. 
And the Lord bless you. That was long. And it's one of those series. That's why you advertise, say, look, it's going to be a big series. It's going to be a big meeting. And next week we'll see, in the Lord's will, listen, Russia coming. And you'll see them coming down towards Jerusalem. And you'll see Iran. You'll see the whole pattern getting together. And you'll see the African nations of, uh, of Northern Africa coming, who are mostly uh, uh, Islamic. You'll see them coming. Then you'll see Britain and America standing in their warships. And you'll see uh, uh, Britain and America coming to say, Art thou come to take a spoil? I'm going to start preaching again. And then you'll see aerial warfare. And at the aerial warfare, you'll see men's faces and their eyeballs burning in their sockets as they stand there. Tommy Garmageddon. But you know what you're going to see? He says, behold, I come quickly. <laughs> He's coming. He's coming for his people. Praise the name of the Lord.